Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. This is great, and we're on to new things, but I, I know that as we move into um, what happens after Easter, sometimes as we talk about like Easter is the highlight of the Christian calendar. It's the highlight because it, it's the change point for everything. It's the point, it's like day one of everything that happens after that. But I was reminded again this week, um, it's so interesting because what happened immediately after Jesus rose from the dead uh, Matthew records it well in verse 28, and it says, Now while they were going, uh, and this was the women who had experienced that the empty tomb was there, that Jesus had risen. It says, Now that while, when they were going, behold, some of the guard came to the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. In other words, the angels came, the stone is rolled away, Jesus is gone. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this very day. I think it's very interesting that the follow-up, the first follow-up to Easter Sunday was lies. The father of lies decided to plant a little something. And so some of you may have encountered some lies. There may have been a rough week actually following the best week of our Christian calendar. There may have been some stuff that's coming up and on an ongoing basis. It's interesting when we have a revelation and a, an understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done, so often the enemy comes to steal it and the, the lies are planted. So we're going to speak into that. And today we're talking about what now? After Easter, what now? What do we do with this? And so I'm just going to pray over this, and we're going to dig in, and uh, I believe have some good tools for you today. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you that truly the evidence of your goodness is all over our lives. God, we thank you that no matter what things surround us, whatever the lies look like, whatever the enemy has um, presented us, whatever things are stirring and swirling, God, you are the constant. You are the evidence, Lord, in our, our lives, God, in an ongoing way of the love of the Father, of the presence of the Holy Spirit active and counseling and guiding in our lives, of a love that came and transformed us, Jesus, that you laid it all on the line for us. And God, today, I thank you for a turning point that the now what after Easter, how do we, how do we walk this out, God, would become fresh and new and alive for us today. I thank you, Lord, that we're in a season like we've never been in before, where we're encountering you and we're not just looking for... Um, Little, little improvements, but God, we want transformation. We want to be radically changed by your presence, God. We want a book of Acts kind of life. Lord, living in the fullness of your plans and your purposes for us, God. We want to see fully what you have planned for us and live it out well. And so today, God, as we dig into your word, we pray that you would reveal it to us. That the spirit of wisdom and revelation would reveal to our hearts what it is you have done, what it is you're saying, what it is you want to do, what it is that's available to us, Lord. And we just thank you for the release of fresh life in us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to dig into this today. And I was thinking about, you know, as we walked through um, the last few weeks, if you've missed any of the services, please catch them online. The, the flow is, is um, pretty necessary for us to understand everything that Jesus did. And kind of leading up to the triumphal entry and him coming into the temple and cleansing it. And, you know, the Passover supper and the, the, the crucifixion, the arrest in the garden, the empty tomb, the, the follow-up of Jesus appearing to so many people in the flesh after he died and after he rose again. All of this stuff is utterly transformative, but we actually have to apply it. So knowing it, hearing about it, it is actually possible to believe something, but not actually be changed by it. So I can believe that it happened. I can believe that it, you know, it existed, whatever Jesus exists. I can believe that Easter is real, but if I don't actually apply it to my life, nothing will ever change. So this is kind of a big deal that we get through this today. I want to uh, just read to you from Philippians 3. I don't think I put this in the notes. But the Apostle Paul 
kind of chooses and he lays out for us what his life is like. And he was one of the ones who experienced an encounter with the risen Christ. And he, he has this thing that changes his life completely. He's going one direction and he ends up turning and going the opposite direction. But then it says here that basically it's cost him everything. Everything that he had prior to this, he just it's discarded. It doesn't, it doesn't even matter to him. And he says in verse 7, but what these things were gained to me, these I have counted as loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So the Apostle Paul is saying, I've, I, I verify, I verify that God is real, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came to the earth, that he died on a cross, that he rose again, that I saw him after he rose again, that he transformed my life, that he turned me in a different direction, and I've dedicated everything since then to being conformed to that to being changed to that, to being moved and molded and shaped to what is this power of the resurrection, the, the cross, the, the living Christ. I have given everything to be changed and shaped into that. And I think that sets a good standard for us. It's that idea that honestly, there should be more to life than just, I believe that Jesus is this and I'm carrying on with my life and I'll cry out if I need a little help. It's, I should be pursuing to be transformed by this, conformed into this place. I, I love this phrase, being conformed to his death. I am willing to lay it all down. He goes on and then he says, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold on of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I am, uh, my goal every day is to look like Jesus to live in that fullness, to be part of that thing. And it's, it's an interesting thing because this is what we're invited into. This is the difference between converts and disciples. Converts are like, yeah, I believe it's true and I accept that. Disciples are like, now teach me. Change me, shape me, mold me. I wanna be like you. I wanna live in that place. There's this uh, famous quote by Maya Angelou. You probably all know it. Anybody who grew up on Oprah. Do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. Do the best you can until you know better. And then when you know better, do better. And what this, we could paraphrase this, what this essentially is saying is revelation brings change. When you know better, do better. When you have a revelation of something, change how you act. When you have a revelation of something, it's going to shift how you behave. Something should change in your life. We absolutely, and this should be obvious to all of us, but we absolutely should be more Christ-like 20 years from now than we are now. If we've known Christ 20 years already, we should be more Christ-like now than we were then. There should be this consistent growth where we know better, so we do better. The problem is when we come to Christ or sometimes when people are trying to help us come to Christ, they will say, do better until you know better. Do be start, with a, start with a do. Do the right stuff. Do the right things. Well, that's kind of contrary actually even to the word. When we know him and we are conformed to his death, then we begin to do better. The revelation comes and then the product follows. The, the life is changed following. So a lot of people post Easter, what do I do? Where do I go from here? We actually have to realize that there are lies being confronted in our face, that there is the same thing that happened from the very beginning, that very first year. 
There is life and life abundantly, but the father of lies is looking to trip you up on it. He's trying to steal from you what Jesus says you can have. So our best way forward is not to look at the lies and fight the lies and chase the lies and address the lies. It is to go in and find the truth and be conformed to it. Are you with me? So this is, this is an active pursuit. This is a, I am choosing to do this. When Paul says, I do this daily, this is how I go after this. So the best way to affect change is to start with a revelation. Jeremiah 29 talks about, if you uh, seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. So we are pursuing, we are seeking him. We're seeking the risen Lord. We're seeking who Jesus actually is. We actually go in and, and we are promised that if we seek him, we will find him. Now, the truth is about revelation and, and understanding that sometimes we can actually um, stumble on it, which is helpful sometimes. Some of us have just been stumbling. We're, we're, we're bumping around and we're, we're like living off the last place we bumped into some revelation and we're hoping we bump into some again sometime, but it was helpful. Sometimes we have situational awareness or situational uh, uh, revelation because we're with people or we're in circumstances where somebody can help us identify what it is we're experiencing, which is one of the major reasons why we gather in church. It's so that we can help one another. We can spur one another on. We can stir up things that we can speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We help each other grow. That situational awareness is sometimes when you're just like, man, I just feel, I feel like good. And somebody's like, yeah, because this is what's happening. You're like, oh, boom, revelation. Now I know because this has happened to me before, but I didn't know what it was. I thought it was indigestion. Good to know. So, so now I know. And then we can pursue it. We can decide. Sometimes revelation comes because we pursue it. And that which we hunt for, that we pursue, that we value, like Sheldon said about the offering, where our heart is, where we are pursuing, that's the kind that really sticks because it cost us something. So Paul said, I gave up everything. And I count it as rubbish. I don't even, I don't even care what it costs me. I just want to know him more. Salvation is free. But the life of a disciple may cost you everything. Are we ready to pay that? Like we should know that. We should know. And I'm not talking financially. Maybe it is financially. But it's, I am invested in this walk with God. I want to know him more. Because either he's really God and then he's worth everything to me. Or this is just a nice idea and he's a good guy. And if he's just a good guy, then this is pointless, right? If he's actually God, <laughs> so if he's actually God and we go, you know, thank you for the invitation to know you and to be in your presence. And I am willing to give you, say, three to 4% of my day. Um, is that okay? Is that, is that good with you? I mean, I've got a job, I've got kids, I've got, I've got responsibilities. So can I... Uh, what, like, what do you think? Maybe, maybe three to 4%, maybe uh, like as I, as I grow in this, like, and my life, be, like maybe I'll get up to like eight, 9%, but I, I have to live a life. He's God. So he's like, no, I want it all or nothing. Take up your cross, die daily, follow me. So that means I still have a job, but I do it with him. I still have a spouse, but I'm in, I'm in this three-strand cord. I still have children, but I'm parenting with him. I still have commitments, but I'm committing with him. And it changes how I do life. So this, this like perspective of the resurrection is intended to alter my entire existence. So what does Easter mean to us? It means my life is completely different than it was before and constantly changing to look like him. So we're going to walk through just this, this breakdown. 1 Corinthians 2, 7 to 8 says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would, would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It's saying that there are, and there, there always were in the things of God, things that were hidden that people couldn't figure out. And until it was the right time and the right person in the right way, they weren't revealed. And so after Christ, things are there to be revealed. We become stewards of the mystery 
it's available to us, but we have to go in and get them. Proverbs tells us that it's the, the honor of kings to, to reveal a matter, to, to dig it out, to find it. It's something that we get to do is pursue. And so number one, we want to talk about this. Resurrection leads to transformation. The resurrection leads to transformation. And we want to dig this out. Some of us haven't experienced the transformation yet. But it's possible we haven't had a real understanding of what the resurrection means to us. The fact that Jesus actually died and rose again means I have access to God all the time. Every day, 24 hours a day, I have access to God. It means I have, I have access to his wisdom, access to his strength, access to his grace, access to his counsel, access to his comfort, his provision, his supply, his, his healing, his restoration. I have access to it all, and it's not this faraway thing. It's up close and personal. So when I have this revelation of the resurrection, I will understand that it leads to transformation in my life. Now, there's this passage in 1 Corinthians 15 where we talked about this last week on Easter Sunday. The first, uh, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is so good because this is where Paul talks about the whole benefit of the resurrection and the fact that it literally changed things, that we can't deny the resurrection or we lose it all. He's, he says if, if Christ was not uh, resurrected, then your whole faith is in vain. Nothing matters. It's pointless. But if he is, this is what should happen. So we're going to pick up in verse 30 um, to 34. And I want to read it in the Message Bible because this puts it just so bluntly. It's hard for us to miss it. So it says, and why do you think I keep risking my neck in this dangerous work? I look death in the face practically every day I live. Do you think I'd do this if I wasn't convinced your resurrection and mine was guaranteed by the resurrected Messiah, Jesus? Do you think I was just trying to act heroic when I fought the wild beasts in Ephesus, hoping it wouldn't be the end of me? Not on your life. It's resurrection, resurrection, always resurrection that undergirds what I do and say and the way I live. That phrase is a big deal. It undergirds what I do and say and the way I live. If there is no resurrection, we eat, we drink, the next day we die. And that's all there is to it. But don't fool yourselves. Don't let yourselves be poisoned by this anti-resurrection loose talk. Bad company ruins good manners. Think straight. Awaken to the holiness of life. No more playing fast and loose with the resurrection facts. Ignorance of God is a luxury you can't afford in times like these. Aren't you embarrassed that you've let this kind of thing go on as long as you have? Okay, I love that. I think it's, I mean, it's pretty hard to miss. You don't have to even read between the lines. It's pretty, pretty clear. Awaken to the holiness of life. No more playing flat, fast and loose with resurrection facts. Ignorance of God is a luxury you can't afford in times like these. That, that phrase should be on our walls, on our fridges. Ignorance of the facts is not something we can afford in times like these. We are in a moment where we can't afford denying the resurrection of Christ. And some of us would say, well, I don't deny the resurrection of Christ. I, I mean, I believe that he died, he rose again. Denying the resurrection of Christ means denying the fact that he is present and active in every day that I live. It, it's saying that he is right here, right now. It's when Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He actually meant that there, that he is here, that there is access right here. When he said that he would, he would dwell within us and amongst us, that the Holy Spirit would come and, and he would help us and counsel us, denying the resurrection is ignoring the fact that any of that is happening. It's saying, I'm just living my life and God will help me when I yelp for help. And that's my code with my kids was always like, you know, Go do, be brave, be strong, but yelp for help if you need it. Sometimes I think we, we treat Jesus like that. It's like, you know what, I'm good. Thank you for your love. I'll yelp for help if I need it. But otherwise, that's denying the resurrection. Yeah. Honestly, it is. It's saying that you're not actually part of my life. Jesus wants it all. And embracing that will transform us. In the New King James Version of verse 34, it says, Wake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame. 
He's saying that there's actually, if when you have a revelation of the resurrection, it will change your behaviors. Your sin life will be, uh, uh, you know, changed, canceled out. You will stop wanting to do that when you have a revelation of the resurrection. When you understand what he paid for, it doesn't actually get to own you anymore. It doesn't actually get to rule your life anymore. It doesn't actually get to decide what your present and your future is because Jesus is now king of your heart. He's now living in that place and he should get to call the shots. And so you shouldn't be bowing to this sin stuff any longer. You're, you're falling. He's essentially saying you're falling into this because you're listening to the people who say the resurrection's no big deal. You're, you've allowed this company that you're keeping, the people that you're spending time with, the people that are talking into your life and speaking over your life, the culture around you is changing your understanding and your appreciation of the resurrection. And therefore, sin is becoming a constant companion for you. And it should not be. So what we will tend to do is we'll say things like, we, you know, we, obviously you need to get your sin issues under control. We should not be living. It should not be the same for, for uh, people who know Christ as people who don't know Christ. We should be able to handle, uh, you know, the physical cravings, the, the, the natural desires, the lust things, the demonic things that have come. We should be able to handle that. And so we try and just stop it. But if we don't go back to the source and say, do I actually have a revelation of the resurrection. I'm actually fighting with my own strength instead of his. And I have very little power to overtake it. I have very little power to stand. And so this is gonna come from this next part. So transformation then, number one, the resurrection leads to transformation and transformation requires a revelation. And revelation is a very specific thing. Revelation means I have this bam, on the inside. And once I know it, I can't walk back from it. I just, I, this is now my new truth. Have you ever had one of those things where you, you've been made aware of something and you almost wish you hadn't because now you're responsible to deal with it? You're like, um, crap. Now, I, now I'm committed. I can't, now that I know, you know, it's, it's things like, um, you know, there, I, for sure when our kids were small and stuff, you know, we, we, definitely like everybody does would look for the very very best deals on kids clothes and shoes because they grow out of them like overnight it sucks it's like what we bought those shoes last week how do they not fit you like so you're looking for the cheapest things well globalization one of the benefits of it is there started to be an information spread and we started to find out about things like sweatshops and you know child labor in countries things that were imported from horrible places and as much as we might like to buy six dollar shoes we're not doing it anymore because now we know some other kid it's cost their childhood to be able to produce this now i know this it's going to change my behavior do you understand what I'm saying? I understand that there's something more insidious underneath what appears to be kind of good. Sin is like that. When we have a revelation of the risen Christ and everything that he paid for, we stop seeing some of the gray areas as gray. And suddenly it's like, that's a nope for me. Like, I, I can't be part of that. It changes, and I'm connected to this. So there's this um, principle. I'd, probably a lot of other people have heard about this. I hadn't. Um, it's called the, the power of why or the, three, or the five whys technique. Has anybody heard this? The five whys technique of interrogation. I saw that and went, ooh, but actually it's just, it just means asking questions. doesn't mean we're actually tying anybody to chairs and pulling out fingernails or anything like that. So, um, yeah, it's great. So the, this five wise technique is this interesting concept that's actually used by factories and production companies all over the world. And it started in the early 1900s, like 1930-ish, by a guy, let me find the name, Sakichi Toyoda, with a D, not a T. Sakichi Toyoda came up with this, but it was actually taken on and applied and made famous by the Toyota Motor Company. And so 
um, basically he came in and his way of thinking was we have to stop band-aiding problems and we have to start like making sure they end like that we have to deal with actual problems for what they actually are and so it was really applied about the 50s when they were looking at kind of mass production how do we get things going through the factories faster how can we produce more and get stuff working in a certain way and so they had this one factory and they they hired a guy who was completely subscribed to this five wise formula and he was like I'm going to apply this to my leadership style and we are going to make this the best running factory anywhere and so the concept is is that you start with a breakdown of the problem so here's what we perceive to be the problem the issue this is what we're dealing with in this factory here's here's the side effects here's what's happening and then get an under secondly get an understanding of the work or the situation where the issue is present so we need to know what's it supposed to be doing how, how are we supposed to be functioning how many people work here what what do they do like just get an understanding of what's going on and um so you've got the understanding of the problem and understanding of the situation Number three is locate the point of occurrence. So all of this is happening. We've got a problem. These are the people. These are the things that are involved. Where's the starting point of this? Like, where do we always have the problem start? And then you begin asking why. And so you start asking a minimum of five whys and start digging into not just we have a problem in the factory. So what it looked like in this particular factory was they would have this one part on the... Um, manufacturing floor that would consistently be shut down and guys were off work because we have a breakdown in one of the machines. So the understanding, it was like, this is the problem. Where is it happening? It's this particular machine. What is this machine supposed to do? Who's part of, who works on this machine? What's, what's the dealio here? And then they began asking why. So ultimately this one machine was the reason that all these guys were laid off work and the whole assembly line would be shut down. And so he started, he went in and he started asking why. And so he, he basically was like, well, which machine is the one that's causing the problem? So they went back to the machine. Okay, so this is the one that's causing the problem, why? Because the fuse always goes off and it shuts down the machine. The fuse just misfires all the time and we always have to take time to replace the fuse. Okay, why? Why does the fuse um, go out? There was insufficient lubrication on the pump that was feeding to it, and so things would overheat, so the fuse would shut down the machine. Why? Why is there insufficient lubrication? So when they walked back a little bit further, they found out that the pump was not properly drawing on the lubricant. Why? Because the shaft leading to the pump was worn and it did not function properly. It was wiggly and it was loose in there. And so it was not allowing the pump to draw properly. So there wasn't enough lubricant. So it was overheating. So it was shutting down the fuses and the fuse would shut down the machine and guys would be home from work and the factory was shut down. So they followed that back. Okay, so the, the pump's not working because the lubricant's not coming through because the shaft is worn down, does not function properly. Why? Why is the, the, the shaft broken down and why is it falling apart they chased it back all these wise 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 because the original intake thing that starts the whole machine was missing a strainer that was filtering out some of the debris that was supposed to make everything flow smoothly because the strainer was missing there was this debris that was coming in and it broke down the shaft and the shaft didn't allow the pump to function properly and so the lubricant couldn't get through and so the pump overheated and the, the fuses shut the things down, the machine was shut down, guys were out of work and the factory was backed up. The problem was a strainer. Are you with me? You're all like, whoa. So let's just suppose that we filter life through this. Let's just suppose that instead of saying, oh, I'm just like that. Oh, I always struggle with that. Oh, my family always struggles with that. I can't possibly forgive because of this. I can't possibly let stuff go because of that. I can't possibly ever get better in this. Our family always struggles with health. Our family always struggles with money. Our family always struggles with anger issues. We've got this. I've tried to deal with this before. I've tried to deal with that before. I can never get free. But if the sun makes you free, you're free indeed. And if the power of the resurrection injects Jesus into every part of your life, then there really is no such thing as a can't and a won't and an and impossible. 
everything with him is possible. So I have to like follow this through and I have to understand that the revelation of who Jesus is needs to bump into the lie that I'm living in. There has to be some kind of a collision here and we have to start asking why's. So for instance, if we say, just to give you an example, um, so dealing with a broken family, our family's falling apart, there's no hope for it. Why? Well, because there's um, terrible, terrible fights and we're just not gonna live like that anymore. Why? Why are there terrible fights? Well, because one or both of us are drinking too much and we just lose control of our mouths and, and things get out of hand and, and we, we're just not willing to live like this anymore. Well, why? Why are you both drinking too much? Because we need to escape. We need to escape the pain and we're not really ready to deal with that right now. Well, why? Because I'm afraid to face the pain. Um, I, I don't know what I'm going to find if I dig into that, so I'd rather just not go there. Well, why? Because I grew up in a family that had brokenness on every front, and I, I'm not willing to do that anymore. I was hurt as a kid. I'm now hurt as an adult, and I'm, you know, I drink to ease the pain, so sue me, but it's hard. And yeah, I do pray and I do ask God to help me sometimes, but I'm just really like life sucks sometimes. And if you had my upbringing, you would be like that too. If we chase the why back, we find out that there's a place of brokenness that is always caused by the sin and despair that is the original thing that happened in Genesis. It's this, this cost. But when people say it's just, well, this is just life. No, it's not just life. Somebody wisely said to me the other day that they, they felt like we're born into a battle zone. Yes, we are. 100% we are. We're born into this place where there is something that is there to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you would have life and life abundantly. So I have to be willing to follow the wise back and realize that if the core root of everything that is going wrong is a sin issue and the brokenness that is fallout from that, you know, nobody ever says, I just, I really, what I want to do when I graduate from high school is be a complete jerk. <laughs> What's your life ambitions? Oh, I just want to hurt as many people as possible. Like nobody says that, right? But we do it because of the sin, because of the consequences of sin, because the wages of sin are death, and that death becomes apparent all the way along. And so it's possible to chase this back, and if the core root cause is sin, whether ours or somebody else's, something that has been done towards us, then the answer is going to be the resurrection of Christ. It's going to be the risen Lord. It's going to be the love that he offers. It's going to be the access that he provides. It's going to be the change that he has presented to us. And so if we're willing to actually um, be transformed by the revelation, God will do all the heavy lifting. We just have to be willing to go there. Some of us don't want a real revelation of the resurrection because we know he's going to take us there. We know he's going to say, it's about time you dealt with this. And we're like, now, I'm okay with, I'm okay with a couple times at church per year. I'm going to, I'm going to like leave Reach FM on the radio and I'm going to, I'm going to just, I'm going to try and live a good life and I'm going to read my daily bread and whatever, but change. No, no, no. Can't change. Can't, nope. Don't want to go there. Why? We want to pursue this through. <laughs> Number three. The revelation will lead to worship. The revelation will lead to worship. There is something that's going to happen. The transformation requires the revelation, but when the revelation comes, it doesn't necessarily first lead to an effect in your life so much as a transformation of the heart. It is going to produce worship. And worship is one of these things, and I want you to not hear it through the filter of, Sheldon actually hit it really well this morning. I want you to hear this not just through the filter of music. This is worship as a heart response. See, this kind of worship, this is, I've had a revelation and now I know. You gotta, you gotta know, if you could tangibly see Jesus in the room right now, you would be on your faces 
we would be on our faces. If we could tangibly see what the truth is, we would be living and functioning in a completely different way. I mean, there's a, there's a thing that happens when you know, when you have a revelation, it demands this response. And the response will be a measure of worship. And we know this because even before Jesus died on the cross, Matthew 2 tells the story of the, the you know, it's the story of um, Jesus being born and the nativity and all of that. And it talks about the magi who came from the east and they were looking for not just some baby, they were looking for the king of the Jews. They were looking for the promised Messiah. They were looking for God. They came and they were looking and they were hunting for him. Matthew 2, it says that they bowed down and they worshiped him. When they got there, they weren't like, they weren't high-fiving each other. Like, didn't we do a great job following the star? Man, we've been at this for 25 years and we actually rock on. This is a claim for science. No, no. Man, they followed the star. They followed the prophetic words. And when things came together and they found God, they fell on their knees and they worshiped a newborn. Right? Up to two years, whatever the timeline is. They, they worshiped a child. Right? How many of us in our own pride would have that response unless we knew? We had a revelation of who he is. That revelation demands worship. It produces worship. Matthew 14 is the story of when the disciples are in the ship or in the boat and Jesus begins walking on the water towards him. I don't know who they thought he was before that. But he starts walking across the water towards them. So this is Matthew 14, verse 33. It says, And those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. When they had this revelation, oh my goodness, like we've been walking with him, we've been enjoying his teaching, we've been liking what he had to say, but um, he's God. And worship was the immediate response from that. John 20 talks about Thomas after Jesus was resurrected who needed to see Jesus for himself. I can't, I'm not gonna believe that he's risen if I can't touch him. So he does. The lights go off and it says, my Lord and my God. And he begins to worship him. Matthew 28, 9 is the women on the road. Um, we didn't even cover them last week. They're, this is a group outside of Mary who actually encounter the risen Christ and it says in verse 9 of Matthew 28, And as they went to the, tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. They came and they're like, um, You're real. And the immediate response is not, So, I need to adjust my lifestyle. I'm going to have to get that addiction under control. I hope you don't know about that, okay? I'm going to try. I better go and make things right with it. I, I need to. No, the immediate response was worship. This is important. This is important because a religious mindset says do so that God will be pleased. Do so that you can have relationship. The truth is when we have a revelation of who he is, we worship and then it will produce the do. It will produce the stuff out of, but we want to pause in that moment and go, you are God. You are God. Like you are literally the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. You knew me with every beat of my heart. You have known me. You know the sound of my voice. You know the thoughts in my head. You know why my body does what it does. Why I think what I think. Why I'm going. You know everything about me and you love me completely. How could I do anything but worship? How could I do anything but come to that place of a heart response? What I'm saying is that when we come through an Easter week, we can't just go, woo, we celebrate Jesus rose. We need to be able to do what we sang this morning. I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life. And I have nothing to say about it except I stand with arms high and heart abandoned. I have nothing to respond with except thank you. I have nothing to respond with except you are so good. Who am I that you would see me, that you would care about me, that you would love me? But I'm in. I don't, I don't know what's on the other side of this, but I am yours. 
And the word that's used for worship in all of these places is the word we've talked about it before, proskuneo. And it means to kiss like a dog licking its master's hand. I know, dog people are like, yeah. Cat people are like, that's weird. <laughs> it's the idea that you're the master and I'm not. It really is less about a lover of my heart kind of thing and more about he is the ruler of all things. It's a different kind of worship. And, and all the, the forms of worship, the relationship that follows, it's, it's about love and it's about passion. And it's about pursuit. But this is realizing the humbling of my own heart, realizing you are God and I am not. That revelation changes everything. It's, it's right down to our health and our finances and our relationships. God wants you to extend forgiveness in some area. He wants you to walk away from this job. He wants you to reconnect with this person. He wants you to do this with your finances. He wants you to do this with your stewardship of your life. And, and if he's God and I'm not, my answer is yes, sir. That's not a slave mentality. That's a I honor you mentality. And that's transformative. That's actually life-changing. So it also means to bow one's knee to or to prostrate oneself, to lay down before him. Why we, why we worship the way we do sometimes in this house is these very reasons. Sometimes you need a physical expression of that heart that's going on. And in a place of corporate worship, that's a great way to do it. You might feel a little bit weird walking down the sidewalk like, I see the evidence of... You might, but feel free to do it. It's, a, it's easier in a setting like this when you're like, yeah, let's all do it. Like, let's raise our hands. Let's stand and worship. Let's kneel before the king. Let's do the stuff that expresses the reality of what it is he's revealed to us. If we are struggling, now I'll just toss this in as an aside. If we are struggling with worship or to surrender ourselves into some measure of worship with him, we may be missing a revelation of who he is in some area. So we may be missing having a revelation of him as our healer, as our source, as the lover of our souls, as our supply, as the one who knows us, as the wise one, as the, the eternal one. There may be a measure of who he is that we're struggling with and we're in our own way. And so when we come into worship, sometimes we have a hard time with that because it's like, well, I don't know that that's true. But once you have a revelation of it, it's really easy to sing, to kneel, to bow, to speak, to whatever, to respond to who he is. And so I want to encourage you in that. If there's an area that you feel like, I just, I really struggle with this. Revelation, again, it comes through that pursuit and the Holy Spirit ignites for us. When we pursue, the word tells us that we will find. When we seek, we will find. So the revelation leads to worship. And now, number four, the worship leads to the assignment. The worship leads to the assignment. So if you walk this back, if, if revelation leads to worship, if transformation uh, requires revelation and the resurrection leads to uh, revelation, the rev resurrection leads to transformation. If we walk that back, instead of having a, a resurrection encounter, if we instead try and jump to what's the assignment, and we miss all these steps in between, it will be self-driven and non-sustainable. This is what it looks like when Christians wash out. When believers start strong and they appear to be doing all the right stuff. And the word talks about this. You know, you're doing all the right things, but your heart is far from me. That's literally what it means. It means that I can have a form of godliness, but deny his power. It means that I can have a, a a thing where I believe Jesus is real, but I haven't gone through. I don't have a revelation of this. I'm not willing to be transformed. I don't want to stop and worship. I just want stuff fixed. This is the progression that gets us there. This is the path. And in the Apostle Paul, when he had this radical transformation, what we, we just see like a, a little footnote in the word. He was checked out for 13 years. 13 years being transformed. 
13 years it took for his mind to get right and, and for him to apply the revelation of Christ. Now, I'm not suggesting any of us check out a life for 13 years. I'm just saying we want, I prayed the prayer, I expect my life to change tomorrow. It didn't change, it didn't work. Are we applying the revelation of the risen Lord? Are we spending the time in worship and submission like that dog, you know, in, in the sense of, and, and I mean, dog people get this. Dogs love you. Where are my dog people in the house? I mean, come on. Dogs, dogs are not doing this because they have to. Dogs love you. Like what, you know, it's, it's that in the sense of the purity of it. Like, God, whatever you want from my life. I just want to hear well done. Isn't that what your dog wants to hear is good boy, good girl, right? I just want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear at the end of my days that Jesus is like, wow, you, you rock that. We had so much fun together. This was, this was so great. And now let's talk about the next thousand years and the thousand years after that, like, because it's eternal. But we just want to, I prayed it, I tried it, it didn't work. Fooey on that, you know, I, I, I'm not into the God thing. Nah, we're being called into more. We're, we're walking through worship that leads to the assignment. Going back to Matthew 28, verse nine, again, these women who met Jesus in person after the resurrection, and it says, as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, verse 10, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. They had the revelation of Jesus. They paused and worshiped him and then they got the assignment. Do you see that? Paused and worshiped and then they got the assignment. Now this might seem like no big deal to people, except it was a really big deal that they were being sent, women were being sent by God to tell men where to go. <laughs> yeah, you, it sounds bad now. It sounded really bad back then when they weren't supposed to be talking, you know, like Jesus gave them an assignment that changed history. In a moment of worship, that came out of a revelation of who he is and what he's done. I'm telling you, we can fight. See, this is why, for instance, if we go just off that women thing for a minute, this is why feminism can go so wrong. It's the me-driven, pride-driven, self-driven, we deserve, we want, we should have. And a lot of those things are probably true. Some of the things should be and are still being changed. But Jesus, in a moment of worship, just changed the assignment. And when stuff comes from there, it's graceful and it's beautiful and it's doable. How do you explain Paul? You know, I've been, I've been hunting down Christians to arrest them and drag them off and destroy their lives to Jesus says, no, this is the one I picked to serve me. It, you have to come into that place of worship and allow then the assignment to be released because God is in the assignment. The assignment will change everything. So it goes like this. It is the see, see him, the, re the revelation, worship, and then go. We don't jump to the go. So let's just suppose you're, you're brand new to Christ. Maybe you just met him this week, right? Maybe, maybe Easter was your weekend. And you're like, what do I do now? You worship him. You spend time going, okay, God, I've lived up until this point, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 80 years for myself, and now I recognize I've had this revelation of who you are. And I am going to pause and worship you. I'm going to pause and acknowledge that you're the king. I'm going to acknowledge that you're the boss of my life now. And I want to honor you. And everything that I am is yours. Everything that I have is yours. I just want to, I want to say thank you. I want to say, um, I'm so grateful. I want you to teach me what this means. I want you to show me what does the resurrected Christ look like? Who do you want to be for me? I just want to spend some time with you. And you may be having one of those moments where it's just like this really pure conversation with God. You're having a walk or you're having a coffee, you know, on the couch or whatever, and you're just kind of talking to him. And he'll say something like, you know, you're really going to need to break up that relationship. You need to walk away from it. It's not good for you. Because it's coming out of worship and revelation, it's easy to do. Maybe not super easy. 
you know, because your will's engaged. But it's, it's doable because you know the instructions came from the king. It, it might come in the form of you're going to need to, like, release that person. You can't, you can't hold that bitterness any longer. They don't deserve it. I'm the king. I'm the resurrected one. You said that your life was mine. This is what I need you to do. Why? Always for your good. Always because everything that he instructs us is leading towards life. Everything in God goes from glory to glory to glory. Everything in the enemy leads us towards death and brokenness. And so this this transfer, this crossover, it happens so beautifully out of this place of surrender. So what I'm saying is don't just, don't just like chase down stuff to fix. Chase him and he'll help you fix stuff. It's, it's kind of cool, right? That's, that's how it works. Ephesians 1, 17 to 23 is one of my favorite passages. And it's Paul who's had this, got this news that these guys are like believers now. And he's like, I mean, this is so exciting and I'm praying for you. I mean, verse 13, therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Like he's just like, oh my goodness. I can't believe you've had a revelation of Christ. You had a revelation of the risen Lord. You've had a revelation of who he really is. And then he goes on and he's talking about this prayer. And he says, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now I want you to catch that. Not the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can live a better life. I'm so glad, Ephesians, that you got saved because, man, you're screwed up. I'm praying that God will teach you how to live better. No, I pray that you would have a revelation. The spirit of wisdom and revelation would give you the knowledge of him. That your eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you might know what is the hope of his calling. The byproduct, then, that you would know him... And when you do that, you would know the value of this calling that's upon your life now. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power. Uh, Everything up to now, he's like, he's not saying, I am praying that you guys will get your lives together and be an example to the people around you of, of really what it means to be a believer. I am praying that you will encounter, that wisdom and revelation will show you how good God is, how much he loves you, what he paid for, what's available to you, the power that's on the inside of you now because Christ lives in you. I pray that you would have a revelation of this walk with him that's gonna change everything. I pray that you would actually know that this is not something you decided to believe, but this has become who you are. There is Christ in you, the hope of glory now. Something is changing that's gonna reform and shift everything about your life. I'm praying that your eyes are open to understand how vast this thing is that you've stepped into. This is kind of what he's praying. He says, according to the working of his mighty power, verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ in me, this is the revelation, is that there's this massive connection with God that I now get to carry that is far above, it places me in conjunction with him, far above all powers and principalities and these evil things, the stuff that I've been dealing with, this crap that's around me in my life, these these issues that chase me down, 
there is a Jesus on the inside of me that's been seated far above all of that. And he's saying, I'm praying that you understand this. And then if we just go a little bit further, I haven't got it on the screen, I don't think, but uh, chapter two, he just continues on with this writing. And he says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath just as the others, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Man! He's saying, you want to you walk in the freedom? You want to deal with the stuff of the flesh? You want to deal with these demonic issues that keep coming against you? You want to you deal with the fact that there's, there's, you know, debauchery and brokenness all around you? Live in the fullness of the risen Christ. Live in him. Know the power. Know the grace. Know the strength. Know what's been purchased for you. Live in that place. You once were there, but you're not there anymore. So stop living like you live there and live in the light. Live in this place. I mean, wow, right? This is, he's telling them, he's not saying, don't do this and don't do that and don't do this. He's saying, why would you? If you know how free you really are, you won't dance in the dark anymore. When you know what's been paid for for you, when you know what's available for you, you don't have to wrestle that anymore. Now, now here's, here's the challenge that we face, is that any of us who have been in Christ for any length of time, we've heard things like this before, and yet we struggle, right? The truth is, if we are still struggling, we have to ask God for a fresh revelation of the resurrected Christ and what he paid for and what is mine. Because the reality is, if you've got a devil that is harassing you and it's telling you you don't have any right to get rid of it, but you have the living Christ on the inside of you who is seated together in heavenly places with you and you are far above every power, principality, every force of wickedness because you're his, because you're in him, you absolutely have the right in the name of Jesus to tell that thing to shut up, get off and leave. The revelation is being blocked. Why? The same reason it was three days after Jesus died. We'll pay you to tell people that this is what really happened. The father of lies has been at it from the beginning. You think you saw the resurrected Christ, but no. Nah. Actually, here's, we, we've paid off a, an alternative for you. You on the inside, you're dealing with, with, you know, brokenness. You're dealing with pain. You just can't seem to get a handle on addictions or anger or frustration or whatever it is. I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. Lies. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I am absolutely, as a child of God, have every right to stand in his authority, to plead the blood of Jesus, to declare the name of Jesus, and kick stuff out. I don't have to put up with it anymore. And sometimes we need to get aggressive because we feel like if we failed, like I'm such a loser, I failed. No, you failed to lay hold of the revelation. That's all. It's not, it's not personal failure. It's a failure to, to lay hold of the revelation. But when that revelation of Christ in me comes up, you start to respond to things like, how dare you? How dare you assault my marriage? How dare you assault my children? How dare you assault my mind? And in the name of Jesus, who conquered the consequences of sin and death over my life, I command you to be silent and go in Jesus' name. I mean, this is the what now after the resurrection. It's applying what's been paid for. It's deciding I'm going to live here. It's deciding to choose to walk down the wise. No, I can't deal with this. I've been addicted to this for 27 years. Can't deal with it. I've tried everything. 
I've tried all the programs. I've tried all the, you know, the hypnosis. I've tried all this stuff. I can't deal with it. Why? I don't know. It's just too hard. Why? Because I really want to do it, actually. Why? Because it makes me feel better for a moment. Why? Because I'm avoiding stuff. Why? Because it's too hurtful to deal with. Why? Because I haven't surrendered it to Jesus. The measure of freedom we experience has everything to do with how willing we are to lay hold of this process. How willing we are to let the transformation change our hearts. I'm going to have the worship team come. <laughs> Can we sing that evidence song again? <laughs> Thank you, Lord. You know, this morning there may be some that straight up, you just need to make that commitment to Jesus. It's the time. You know it. You've heard about it but you haven't done it. And there may be some that need to recommit. Maybe you've prayed it before and you've totally walked the other way. You know, I, I saw a testimony of a lady. Um, I, I don't know what, whose stage she was on or whatever, but she was talking about how she grew up in a Christian home. She'd been born again and spirit-filled as a kid. And uh, as she grew into her teen years, she started to get a little bit rebellious and wanted to start trying stuff. And by the time she was a young adult, she was fully off the rails. And uh, she ended up dabbling in different sexual sins and things like that. And, um, and, and just trying whatever to the point that she was same-sex attracted. She, she had a full-on sex addiction, um, just dealing with all sorts of stuff. And um, the one day she was just in torment and she's crying while she's part of a inappropriate act crying and she heard the spirit of God say you have the authority to deal with this because she actually knew Christ she had just drifted and so she she ended up coming to a church service and she got on her face in the front and she just started saying like Jesus 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 like I'm I'm coming back to you I submit to you and she like had full-on deliverance ministry herself Nobody else knew this was even happening. Nobody was laying hands on her or casting anything out at all. But the Jesus that she knew is the name above every name. And she is since healthy, whole, you know, in a good relationship. God, God changed everything. But she needed to come to the point where she was surrendered to him. And we all do. We all do. So I'm going to ask you for a moment, if everybody would just close their eyes. And we want to take this moment with, with Jesus. And Lord, we just ask today, just like the Apostle Paul prayed, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would show us right now that our eyes would be enlightened to know the knowledge of you. That we would be enlightened to know what is the hope of your calling and what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints. Lord, give us a revelation of what is the exceeding greatness of your power towards us who believe according to your mighty power and not ours. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us if there's, if there's been a gap and we've never accepted you in the first place, or we've living a form of godliness, but we've been denying you and we need to surrender completely today. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your prompting today. Your nudging. I'm just going to ask you this morning if you need to respond to that you need to give your life to Christ either for the first time or you need to come back to him would you just raise your hand for a moment yeah I see that hand I see that hand 
anybody else this morning, you need to make that decision for him. Yeah, I see that hand. There's so much freedom in this decision. There's so much life in it. I see you. Anybody else this morning, you need to make that decision. Yeah, I see that hand. Thank you. Anybody else today? Put it down. Thank you. Maybe you're watching online today and you're making that decision. We're going to pray together and you're included in that. And we'd love if you would just contact the church and we will send you out a packet. Just help you with your first steps. But can we all pray together this morning this prayer of commitment and application of the risen Lord in our lives? And for those that are praying this is an act of commitment, you're gonna, you're gonna sense a change and you're gonna need to pursue that change. You're gonna need to dig into it a little bit. Let's stand together and we're gonna pray. Thank you, Lord. So would you just repeat after me? Father God, I come before you today and I recognize that I am a sinner that I need a savior, that Jesus is the risen Lord, that he is God. And Lord, today I come before you and in that recognition, in the revelation, I ask you for your forgiveness, your cleansing, your washing, that you would make me new, that you would cause me to be alive and free in you. I choose today to lay down my life and pick up yours. And I declare over myself, it is no longer me who lives, but Christ lives in me. And I thank you for it. Help me to live for you and help me to live in the delight of the resurrection in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Wow. So I, way to go guys. He's so good. He's so good. I want to encourage you this morning. If you've made that commitment and you're either, it's a first time commitment or it's a repeat commitment. Would you just meet Pastor George over here by the bottom of the cross? He would love to pray with you. And uh, he's got a gift for you just to help you with your first steps. We also just want to remind you that there is foundations classes for people who are just wanting to get that sorted out at the beginning. Tuesday night, seven o'clock. Not this one or yes, this one. Not this one. Um, but following that and join us and be discipled in that. But for each one of us, if you're walking this through, I'd really encourage you tonight, six o'clock, we're gonna come and just soak in his presence. Maybe you just need to kneel at his feet. Maybe you need to spend some time there. But for all of us, if there's a place that doesn't feel yet free, let's take the time to let the revelation of Christ show us something. Ask the questions, be brave enough to ask the wise. And at the bottom, you will find you always have the answer in Jesus, always. So bless you, have a fantastic day. Let's sing this out in praise today. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at Victory Church GP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.victorygp.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.